0: Good morning, church. Good morning, church family. Welcome to this Sunday worship service live here from West Chicago, Illinois. Uh, you know, this auditorium feels so strange without you here. But we are thankful that we can have this time and through this medium be connected and worship the Lord together. I want to give a special welcome if you are part of our Streamwood Campus Tri Village uh, welcome thank you for being with us and worshiping the Lord from wherever you are right now also from our people from our West Chicago campus either if you are part of the traditional service or the contemporary service or if you're part of the Spanish congregation and you are tuning uh, tuning in right now uh, welcome welcome it is, a, it is a blessing to be together and worship the Lord together. also I want to mention that our, we know that there are f- families gathering together. Uh, children, teenagers, families gathering together to worship the Lord. And it's a blessing for us to get to you uh, through this medium and, and through this technology and worship the Lord together. I want to I wanna, uh, mention Psalm 22, verse 1 as our call to worship. Psalm 22, 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go up to the house of the Lord. Now, we know that we... In these times, we cannot come and physically be together in one place, worshiping the Lord. But Psalms 122:1. when 1, when the people of God are saying this, they're going up to the city of God, to the city of peace. And they're longing for that peace where God inhabits with all his people. That's the the Bible calls that shalom. And shalom is the perfect peace, the the fullness of life. The people of God were traveling to the city looking for that shalom. But for us today, shalom is with us in the person of Jesus. So wherever you are, Jesus is there. Let's worship him this morning.
1: song of praise together wherever you're at this morning, one voice, let's sing. We are a sea of voices, we are an ocean of your praise.
2: Gathered under one name, we are the tide that's rising.
1: morning and we believe that. So church, hear these words from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, 10 through 11 says, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. And we believe that this morning, church. And in our circumstance, we can lean into the rock of our salvation, one that our faith is built upon. Let's join together. Let's call upon the Lord this morning. Let's lean into his grace, into his faithfulness. For he is with us. He's with us this morning. Over fear, over shame, church. Come on, let's declare this boldly. Jesus name will break every strong. shackles are no more for Jesus
2: Christ
3: Since we have now been justified through his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Amen, do you believe that his power is enough? His love is enough. It covers us today.
2: Mm -hmm. Thank you for the way that you love us. you love us how you love us this is our prayer
3: And let this be our response to our God of love. Jesus, we. in, in times of uncertainty, in times of fear, in times of trial, in times like these, God, we can be certain that we are covered by your love, that we are covered by your grace. And God, nothing can change that. Nothing can change your love for us, Lord, but we can stand confident in that love every day. Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. May the power of that truth get us through this, Lord. May the power of your love get us through today. And God, may we look to you. And may we have faith in you. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for your love. It's in your holy and precious and sweet name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.
4: Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here with you today in your homes. What a privilege. My name is Carol. I serve with our Tribe Village campus up in Streamwood, and it is just so great to be with you today. I wanted to take a second to welcome the students and kids who have been joining us for our worship service these past few weeks. We have loved seeing the videos and photos of you dancing and worshiping with us. What an awesome treat. And parents, if you're watching, we want you to know that our Kids Life and our Student Life teams are here for you. We want to help equip you to disciple your children. So after the service, if you head over to our Kids Life family Facebook group, there'll be a lesson that you can watch with your kids and also some other resources to help them throughout the week. And if you go to our website, you'll find information on how to tune in to the Student Life live stream that will be happening this week. We also want you to know that at a time like this, more than ever, we are praying for you. We are here for you, and we want to connect and help you in any way that we can. So if you need some prayer, if you need to connect with our pastoral staff, there are a few ways that you can do that. You can text prayer to 630-260-1600 and follow up with your prayer request, and we'll have that on hand this week when we pray for you. You can also text pastor to that same number and somebody will follow back and follow up with you and give you a call so you can talk. And if you're not really into texting and you just want to call, just pick up the phone and give us a call. We would love to talk to you and help you through this difficult time. Now, let me tell you a story of something that happened this week. One of the ministries that we have here at Wheaton Bible Church is our Benevolence Fund, which is a type of financial assistance to members of the community when unforeseen things happen, such as a job loss or a medical emergency or something like that. Now, with COVID 19, there's been a real increase in our community for the need for this particular ministry. And now more than ever, your support for this ministry and your gifts are important. Our gifts matter. In a time of extreme hardship, often only extreme love can balance that out. So just this week, we were able through that ministry to help a young mother pay for rent and remain in her current living apartment and also to buy some formula for her baby. It's such an amazing thing that we have the resources to be able to do that for the members of our community. So I'd like for you to take a moment and consider giving a gift to Wheaton Bible Church this morning to support this type of ministry. You can give a one-time gift or a recurring gift. It's up to you. And there are a few ways that you can do that. You can text Wheaton Bible to 77977. You can also head over to our website, which is wheatonbible.org slash give, and you can give there. Or you can just mail a check to the church. Thank you so much for considering. And thank you also for those of you who already support the church. We are so grateful that you can empower us to be the hands and feet of our Lord in this community. Now, I'd like to invite Pastor Rabu to pray for us this morning as we continue to worship.
5: Thank you, Carol. And good morning to all of you. I want to thank you... Uh, you the people of WBC Wheaton Bible Church for your generous financial support during this time of uncertainty. Uh, So far we're having a good month uh, financially in this month of March and we really need your gifts. We need you to give out of your love for Jesus Christ because everything is changing for us in terms of how we communicate and how we minister uh, to the wonderful family that makes up our church and our different uh, campuses. Uh, For example, we're starting to do Zoom weddings. Uh, As as Carol has mentioned, we're creatively reaching out to children and students in different ways. I've never spent so much time personally in front of a video camera as I've done this week as we work on three-minute, five-minute short videos doing uh, different things in order to keep in touch and encourage you in this unprecedented time of uncertainty. So thank you. Thank you for your giving. And let's give to the glory of God. Now would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, on the one hand, right now, nothing is the same. And who knows, uh, nothing may ever be the same on the other side of this coronavirus pandemic. But you are the same. You are always the same. You are the same now, and you are the same forever. This is a time of uncertainty, confusion, and fear. But you, God our sovereign. You, God, are good. You are infinite in your wisdom. And we praise you that you are our heavenly father, that you are infinitely better than any father that has ever lived in human history. You are the greatest father. You are a better father than the collective greatness of all the fathers throughout history. The same is true relative to you being the king. You are the greatest king in history. uh, But you are greater than all the collective attributes of all the great kings and leaders throughout history. Help us to lean into you. Help us to realize that you have our back, that you know every hair on our head, that you are in control. And Father, we want to pray for today for people that are hurting, people uh, in our family, outside our family that have just lost a job or have experienced a cutback. We pray for people that are struggling health-wise, for this flight attendant in our church that has tested positive. We pray for other people that are. Uh, facing all sorts of different health issues, different crises right now, families that are in distress, as Carol alluded to, financial distress. We pray, God, that, that you would give our government leaders wisdom. We pray for President Trump. We pray for Governor Pritzker. We pray for other national and state and local leaders. Would you guide them we pray, God, that we would be able to safely return to life as normal, sooner rather than later. Over the weekend, I talked to a business owner and said, I've probably got about three le- weeks left before uh, things are going to fall apart for me. We pray for people like that, and we pray, God, uh, that this virus would peak, and it would peak quickly. And we pray, God, that you would save lives, that you would bring healing. We pray for what's going on in New York City, and we pray that uh, clear heads would prevail, and you would stem uh, this epidemic as it is increasing there. We pray for the different medical workers, the different hospitals here in Chicago. And pray that you would keep these dear medical workers that are on the front lines safe. That you would protect them. That you would use the different medicines that are now being experimented with. These different medical cocktails. And that they would work. And they would bring healing. Father, we ask that you would comfort our hearts. That you would clear our minds. That we would... Lean into you because you are the one that is the same. You are the same in your goodness and your faithfulness and your love. And somehow, in some way, you are using all of this for good. Show us how God is the church of Jesus Christ, as believers in Christ, to be light in our neighborhoods to be light with our friends, our co-workers. Show us what that looks like, that we might honor you. And I pray in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And let me welcome you, those of you that are part of our Streamwood campus, our North Avenue campus, those of you who are part of our traditional services or contemporary services, those of you that are maybe visiting with us online today or are checking in from different parts of the world, we are so glad you could be a part of WBC Online. I especially want to welcome you kids and you students. When we started these online services two weeks ago, It didn't really register with me how many young families, how many children would be watching. So going forward I hope to do a better job of speaking to all ages. Now you need to pray for me about that because nobody has ever asked me to be a kindergarten teacher. So let's see what God can do. Now today, we conclude our series in this amazing New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a treasure chest because it directs us to all the blessings, the salvation, the redemption, the adoption The significance, the security, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The moment we believe in Jesus Christ. uh, All of this comes to us the moment we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now it doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how you've lived your life. God freely offers you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places the moment you believe, the moment you turn to Christ. And so today we come to Ephesians chapter 5 and a passage that's really about how to live the Christian life. But what I want to do because of this unprecedented time we are in is look at this a little differently. And I want to give you three keys that emerge from this passage that will help you overcome in times of crises like this time. Now, these are three keys that have meant the world to me. Three keys over the years that have made a huge difference in the different crises that I have faced personally. So let's start with the first. And it's this. Cling to God's love. In a time like this, I want to invite you to cling to God's love as a child who's had a nightmare clings to his dad as she clings to her mother. Now this is exactly what Paul suggests for us in the first two verses of Ephesians chapter 5. and Let's look at verse 1. Paul says this. Let me back up. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Now what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be a dearly loved child of God. Now notice there, are not, notice there are three words there. Uh, not just two, not just one. We are not just children of God. We are not just loved children of God. We are dearly loved children of God. What an incredible blessing. What an incredible uh, moment for us. Now I love my kids. I would do anything for my kids but my love pales in comparison to what paul is telling us here god's love is for us you see my love is imperfect i can't always protect my kids i don't know the future i can't work all things together for good in their lives i can't satisfy the deepest longings of their hearts now i thought i could do that by teaching them all to barefoot water ski but it didn't work. But God is perfect. God always protects us. God knows the future. Romans tells us God is always working all things together for good. And God alone is the one that satisfies the deepest longings of our heart. And that's the beauty uh, of this uh, passage. We are dearly loved children. But there's more here in these three words because these three words speak to the reality of our adoption. The moment we trust Christ, the moment we believe in Christ, we are adopted into God's family. We become God's dearly loved children. Now talk about safety, security, Talk about uh, privileges. Talk about being empowered. Uh, the Holy Spirit dwells inside us. Uh, talking, uh, talk about being loved. Talk about being treasured. We are God's adopted children, and that adoption is permanent. That adoption is eternal. And such is our privilege, such is our blessing in Jesus Christ. But there's more we need to ask ourselves the question, how did this happen? After all, God is holy. We are self-centered. We are sinful. And Paul gives us the answer here in the next verse, in verse 2, when he says, and walk in the way of love. Now notice, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God, when we have been adopted, We have been adopted because Jesus loved us so much that he died for us. He offered his life as a sacrifice. I mean, get your mind around this. You and I are sinful. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he bore that sin for us. He became the sacrificial lamb of God, uh, satisfying both the love of God God loves us and wants to forgive us and uh, satisfying the holiness of God. God is holy and he must punish sin. So that punishment fell on Jesus. You know, when someone says they love you, it moves you. But when someone who loves you dies for you, it transforms you. And that's what we see here in verses 1 and 2. You and I are transformed by the love, by the power of God. Now let me apply this, let me illustrate. And I wanted to do it with an illustration that I've stumbled upon. Author Paul Tripp tells the story of when his kids were young and they couldn't understand why he refused to do something they wanted, and uh, they couldn't get their little minds around it, they would protest. So Paul Tripp says he would get down on his knees and he'd look face to face into the eyes of his young children, and he would say, Daddy wants to ask you two questions. Do you know that Daddy loves you? And they would reluctantly nod and say yes. And then he would ask, is daddy mean or bad to you? And they would shake their heads and say no. And then Trip would say, well, I want you to listen to me. I want you to tell yourself three things. You may not understand why Daddy has said no. You may not understand why Daddy is doing what he's doing. But you know that Daddy loves you. So therefore you can trust Daddy. Do you see? We may not understand what God is doing right now in in the midst of this uncertainty, in the midst of this Uh, danger, this health crisis. But our confidence as followers of Christ, our, our contentment and our courage isn't found in our understanding. It's found in our trusting God, in resting in Him, in leaning to Him. So I want to invite you to do two, three things. I want to invite you to tell yourself three things. Number one, I may not understand what God is doing right now. But I know, number two, that God loves me. And so therefore, number three, I'm going to trust him. You are a dearly loved child of God. And therefore, to the extent to you cling to God's love, You will overcome in times of crises. Now let me go on to the second. Not only do we cling to God's love, but I want to invite you in light of this passage to up your obedience. Now it may surprise you that I'm talking about upping your obedience in times of difficulty, but here's why. I mean, think what what hardship does to us. I mean, hardship has a way of frustrating us, disappointing us, and as hardship goes on and as hardship deepens and the pain intensifies, we have a tendency to slip spiritually. God, if now we don't say this, and often it's on. Un- but it's almost like, uh, God, if you're doing this to me, uh, then I- I'm, instead of turning to you, I'm going to turn away from you. And we end up in disobedience. Now, I wish I didn't need to say this, but over the years, I've seen this so many times played out in so many different ways. And so now we come, beginning in verse 3, to this next section In Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul calls us to up our obedience. And here he's going to give us a couple of ways that we can do this. So let's begin reading in this passage in verse 3. For among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, "...because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For you can be sure of this, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God." Now don't misunderstand, all of us sin. Paul is talking about non-Christians here. He's talking about people who don't care, people who live in this lifestyle, people who don't mourn their sin, confess their sin, uh, people that continue in their sin rather than turning away uh, from their sin. Let's continue in in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything is exposed by the light, but when everything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. I think that's a reference to people coming to Christ. Now verse 14, and here we'll stop. This is why it's said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What a passage. Now, let me give you a couple things that emerge, emerge rather, from this longer section. And here's the first. Paul is telling us to be clear about sin. And when I say you are clear about sin, I'm not talking about you being clear about other people's sin, but your sin, if you will, your weak spots. Now look at verse 11. Paul says, has nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. So what is sin? What is sin in our life? Well, sin, and here's a definition, is sin is deeds of darkness. And Paul gave us some examples earlier in verses 3, 4, and 5 when he talked about sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. And then in verse 4, he talked about obscene speech, vulgarity, uh, rudeness uh, with our tongue, and and on and on. But I want you to understand, deeds of darkness here aren't just external acts, not just our behaviors. They're also internal. They're issues of our heart. Now, how do we know that? Well, because look at verse 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a person is an idolater. Here Paul introduces the subject of idolatry. Idolatry is a fundamentally internal thing. And idolatry is such a big deal in the Bible that it goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. And in Exodus chapter 20, It is addressed and prohibited in the first of the Ten Commandments when God says you you shall have no other gods before me. What God is saying is if anything is more important to you than me, if anything uh, shapes your significance or shapes your life more than me, If you love anything more than you love me, even good things like friends or children or uh, providing for your family or your job, those are deeds of darkness born in your idolatry. And the problem is they will poison you. Now now what does that mean? That means because they become idols and because they become more important to you than God, uh, that you will place a weight on them, a value on them, a, a a priority on them that they simply can't carry. They're idols. And man, have I seen this? My boyfriend has broken up with me. We are about to get engaged. And I'm done with church. Or my wife died. She's divorced me. And if God's going to treat me like this, I, I, I'm done. Or your idol is your kids and the behavior of your kids and suddenly your kids grow up and your adult kid never speaks to you. Or maybe it's your job and you lose your job and you're crushed. You see, if we put that kind of weight on our idols and our idols disappoint us, then we will be crushed. And one of the ways you can tell you're doing that it is if, man, if you will do anything to get that idol and cling to that idol, or if you are paralyzed by fear at the thought of losing that idol. An idol is a good thing that you make an ultimate thing. And when that happens, you set yourself up for spiritual failure. And so we need to be clear about the idols of our heart. We need to be clear, as we see in this passage, about what it means uh, to embrace certain idols. And I want to invite you today to spend some time thinking uh, about sinful behaviors in your life. I want you to spend time thinking about different idols because here's a principle. Adversity exposes your idols. What is it uh, that you are seeing? What is it that is underneath your fear? You see, you will up your obedience when you are clear about your weak spots the idols and the behaviors and second you will up your obedience when you resist sins deceit let's look at the beginning of verse 8 for you were once darkness now this is uh, these are strong words Paul doesn't say uh, you were gripped by darkness. Paul doesn't say uh, that you struggled with darkness. Paul says, before you came to Jesus Christ, you were gripped by darkness. And he continues. And he's telling us that uh, darkness isn't just deeds we do. Uh, darkness is our nature. Nature. The human heart has an enormous capacity for evil. And one of the primary ways that evil gets manifested in our lives is by our own personal self-deceit. So like Paul, or Saul rather, King Saul in the Old Testament, we tell ourselves God isn't coming, God isn't going to get me through this, God isn't going to get me to the other side. And so we give up, we take matters into our own hands. Or like Achan in the Old Testament. We say, I really need this money. I, 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 I really can't live without this. This is key to making me happy. And we take it. And we pursue it. Or like David, I really need this woman. Or like Judas, everything is okay when things aren't okay. The prophet Jeremiah said the heart, the human heart is more deceitful than anything else. And it's beyond cure. I want you to be careful about your own personal self-denial, your own personal self-deceit. This is a huge deal in the Bible with all sorts of consequences. Now let me jump down to verse 6. Look at verse 6 here. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Now, we're talking about self-deceit especially. And we look at this and we say, no way, man, you know, this turns me off. And part of that is because we have a mistaken notion of wrath. We tend to think that God's wrath is uh, like someone who's out of control or a rageaholic. But that's not God's wrath in the Bible. Rather, in the Bible, God's wrath is God's subtle opposition to evil, and his judgment of it. Think of a judge convicting a criminal, the sentencing that criminal. And that's exactly what we see here. And so what I want to do is I want to bring this back to self-deceit. And I want to talk about a major area of self-deceit deceit in our western world today that it's especially true um, for people that don't believe in Christ and unfortunately it really impacts those of us who are part of the family of God. And that is this mistaken notion, this deceit that all that matters in life is that I'm really good. You see a lot of people will look at what I just said and say, this is why I don't want to have anything to do with the Bible because the Bible is so negative. And yes, there are some people that are bad, uh, others will argue, but most of us, aren't most of us basically good? I I mean, most of us don't murder. Aren't we hardworking people? Now, we may not be religious, but we're good, and so here, here it is. Um, all that really matters is that we're good. And I want to suggest to you that self-deceit. Let me illustrate it this way, with, it, uh, with something that I've used before that I found some years ago from uh, somebody else. There's an old woman, and she has a son. And this woman doesn't have a lot going for her, but she is a really good mother. And she teaches her son to be honest and hardworking and to care for the poor. And even though it just about breaks her financially, she scrapes up enough money to send her son to college. And he excels at college. But when he's done and he graduates... He completely shuts off his mother. He never talks to her again. He never answers her calls. He never responds to her in her sicknesses. But he's good. He's honest. He's hardworking. He cares for the poor. (laughs) He, He could say, I'm doing everything my mother told me to do. I'm being good. Isn't that enough? And and we say, no, it's wrong. Because if all you are is uh, living a a good life, but you completely ignore the one person that has made it possible, the one person that has given you everything you have, then you've missed the point. And I want to suggest to you that's the height of self-deceit. That somehow it's okay to ignore God while I enjoy his blessings. And all that really matters is that I live a good life and I ignore the author of life. And here's how we fall prey to that as believers in Christ. Uh, we tell ourselves, you know, I'm just too busy to pray and, you know, I want to read the Bible, but I I find the Bible boring. I don't have time to memorize. Um, You know, I I really don't worship and I'm pretty casual about my involvement in in the church. And you know how we justify that? We justify that by saying, but, you know, I'm basically good It doesn't matter if we ignore God. What matters is if we live a good life. It's self-deceit. You up your obedience when you resist your tendency to be deceived. Now, third, let me go on. Look here. Not only are you clear about sin, you resist sin's deceit. But according to our passage, you embrace uh, your identity. This is the second half of verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light. I mean, think about this. You are so transformed by Jesus Christ. You are so radically changed that you don't just evidence aspects of light. Paul says you are now light. Light itself. This is exactly what Jesus was getting at in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Now we ask ourselves the question, well, what does this light look like? What does it mean? Well, Paul gives us a partial answer as he continues here in verses 9 and 10. He says, for the fruit of the light consists in all, now notice, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And giving yourself to pleasing the Lord. So what does this light mean? It means... That I am characterized by goodness, righteousness, and truth. And that's what we see here in our passage. In other words, now bear with me. You kids will get this and you may have to help your parents with this. If I understand the second half of verse 8 correctly, what this means is if you are a believer in Christ, then you are Cinderella. You were once poor. You were once without hope. You were once pressed before you came to Christ. Uh, But the prince, the king, actually, I can't remember whether uh, Cinderella's husband is a prince or a king. But Let's say he's a king. But the king loves you and he marries you. And you know what happens the moment the uh, the king marries Cinderella? His wealth becomes hers. His identity, his splendor, his glory, his privilege, his blessings become yours. And what Paul is saying when he tells us, You are the light, you are flawed but radiant, and you are Cinderella. And to the extent you understand the power of your new identity, I am the light of the world, I reflect Jesus' light, you will you really will up your obedience. So let's go on now. What we've said so far is we cling to God's love, we up our obedience, and now finally I want to conclude by talking about you in a time of crisis, pursuing God's will. So let's look at verses 15 through 17. Paul says, be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, I want to focus in on the Lord's will and ask the question, well, uh, what does understanding the Lord's will mean? How, How do we get at that? so we can pursue the Lord's will and live a life that's characterized uh, by wisdom. And so I want to suggest a couple of things here as we conclude. First of all, this means that in every area you work, so that in every area of your life, your life is informed by the Bible. So for example, in chapter 4, when Paul says, be angry but do not sin, When he says, get rid of all bitterness. When he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. And in chapter 5, when he will say um, in, in the very next verse, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. When James says, count it all joy when you encounter various crises. Because the testing of your faith produces endurance. You take those seriously. You do it. You obey that God's word. Now, you don't do it perfectly, you do it progressively because the Bible is to your life what headlights are to a car. And it enables you, it's the only way you and I can get through the darkness. Now, let me illustrate this with Psalm 1. Psalm 1 has been called a gateway psalm. It's a gateway to the other 149 psalms. Uh, That's because it holds the key to understanding all the other psalms. Now, what is the key? Well, we find it right at the beginning of Psalm 1. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night the key to understanding the Psalms, the key to understanding God's will, the key to pursuing God's will is you and I so regularly meditating on God's word that it becomes our delight. And so we give ourselves to be students of God's word. We love to talk about God's Word. We love to discuss God's Word in our small groups, in our life groups. And we don't just chit and chat, man. We talk about God's Word. We pray over God's Word. Uh, We seek to encourage one another uh, with God's Word because we're people who don't merely meditate on God's Word. We're people who delight in God's Word. Now let me go on. Second, To pursue God's will, you seek God about the things that the Bible doesn't address. And there are a lot of things the Bible doesn't address, right? I mean, the Bible doesn't talk about where we go to school. The Bible doesn't tell you. There's not a verse that tells you who you should marry or what job you should take or what career direction you should take or what sport you uh, should play. Rather, what the Bible talks about is the type of person you should be in that job. So let's say you want to excel at a particular sport, a particular instrument. Or you want to get all A's. Or you want to make money. and You want to find a job that's meaningful uh, for you. Now is there anything wrong with these things? Absolutely not. But to pursue God's will means we dig into what the Bible tells us about that type of person we should be in that place where we're pursuing. And am I there serving God or am I serving myself? Am I there to make a lot of money to spend it on myself or so that I can be generous, not just with my time, not just with my talents, but with my treasure? Now there's one more aspect of pursuing God's will here in these verses. And that means, and it's this, you keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible isn't a a book of rules sprinkled with a couple of stories. It's not that. The Bible is one story about one person, one hero, Sprinkled with some rules. And of course, that is none other than Jesus Christ. And so we pursue God's will to the extent that we keep Jesus the main thing, especially in times of difficulty and, and disappointment and, and loss. This is why just a couple of chapters earlier in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, Paul prayed that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. Now, the moment we come to Christ, Christ dwells in our hearts. All three persons of the triune God do so. But here in chapter 3, Paul prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. What's What's he doing? He's praying that that would be our experience, not just our position, but that would be, if you will, our existential reality that we would have the sense of Christ's presence and our love. We would have a sense as we go through our days of how much Jesus loves me, how good Jesus is. Oh man, I, I've seen Jesus' mercy in this way. Jesus died for me. And that love and mercy continues to overwhelm us. Christ dwells in our heart by faith. So as I conclude, let me just ask you this. During this crazy chaotic time is it Jesus that dwells in your heart by faith? Or is it fear that your problems or your losses? Let's look to Jesus. As we learn about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at how much you love us, amazed at all the things that you have done for us. We marvel at your goodness and your grace. And we thank you for the Son of God and the love of God who has given us everything. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, uh, these kids, these students, uh, these adults right now, and I I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom and discernment and patience and contentment. Uh, Give us courage, give us love in this crazy world right now. And we pray, God, for healing and hope. We pray that you would fill our hearts with hope. Because we serve and we believe in as a resurrected Savior. Amen.
3: Amen, church, as we respond to the words that we just heard, would you sing this with us? as we commit to building our lives upon our Lord Jesus, as we focus on him as the main thing, this is our song. declaration we will build our lives upon the love of Christ he is our foundation let's sing this out together in confidence
5: As we conclude today, I want to pray over you Romans 15, 13 where Paul says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've been pressing that truth into my life lately. I've been thinking about this verse a lot, and what has struck me about it is that God doesn't want us just to have hope, which is wonderful, but God in a time like this wants you to overflow with hope, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, would you do this in our lives, that because we are so, um, alive in the wonder of what Christ has done for us, that we are people that overflow with hope in times of uncertainty and difficulty. I pray, God, that you would do this by your Spirit. I pray that we would be people that don't merely hope, but overflow with a hope of our security in Jesus. And may God bless you. Amen.
6: Thank you for worshiping with us today. I wanna tell you about something we posted last week on social media. We heard from local health workers that there was a need for people to donate blood. Quickly, we prepared our building to be able to host the donation safely, and within a few hours of sharing the need, you all filled every available slot. Thank you for your generosity. We're gonna be sharing more and more ways you can be the church and be with your church through prayer nights, messages from Pastor Rob, and more. So if you haven't already, follow us on social media, at Wheaton Bible and at Church. If you want updates like this in your inbox, you can also subscribe at wheatonbible.org newsletter. Another way that you can be the church and serve others during this time is through a great new portal where you can ask to get help and offer to give help. You can offer to serve others by picking up groceries or prescriptions and more. And if you have needs or know someone that has a need, they can share that need and get connected with someone to help. You can get more info at wheatonbible.org nextsteps. We want to know how we can be praying and caring for you. You can text prayer or pastor, and our pastoral team will be praying for you and responding throughout the week. You can also call, and we'd love to hear your voice. You are loved. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week.